You are listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on Sunday, April 4th, 2021. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want you to take your Bibles this morning and go to Isaiah 53, obviously a very familiar passage of Scripture for us that um, uh, we've ever studied the crucifixion of Christ, we've studied His uh, trial, His um, burial, such as like that, His passion, and all Isaiah 53 is a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, We want to greet all those who are joining us online this morning. Grateful that you can come with us and uh, hope that one day you'll come and join us here at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. We'd love to meet you in person and um, we hope that you'll receive a blessing from the message today. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, we, um, we saw the triumphal entry of Christ and all. We were beginning the beginning of Passion Week. And all, of course, we're here at the end of Passion Week. Friday, we kind of got right in the middle of Passion Week with what we experienced and in, in, in having the Lord's Supper, the communion, and that time of Passover. But what we just want to understand, I want to reiterate, is that what we are seeing within this week, within this week, is fulfillment of prophecy. From his triumphal entry to the riding on the donkey to uh, the shout out that the children of Israel said, you know, Hosanna in the highest and all. This was all fulfilled prophecy. And this is the hope that we have, that the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is real. And all because of the veracity of fulfilled prophecy. Folks, other religions don't have that. I mentioned this morning in the Sunday school, yes, there are other religions that make predictions, but none of them can make prophecy because God's the only one that can lay that down and then bring that to fulfillment. And what we see, what we've seen in this whole week, from his triumphal entry to his trial and crucifixion to what we're going to look at today, his resurrection, and such is all a wonderful fulfillment of prophecy. And this is something that we can grab hold unto. But, you know, when we think about what Christ went through and everything, there was a cost, there was a price that was paid for your redemption and mine, wasn't it? The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God to come and take away the sin of the world. We know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remittance of sin. And, all, and so we understand uh, what Christ went through on this, that uh, yes, it, it, it cost him his life, but I want us also as believers to understand that living out our faith, there's also a cost to that. You understand that today. And everything, we're living in a society that is becoming increasingly, you know, just increasingly antagonistic against not just religion in general, but I think the Christian religion in particular. And everything, whether it's going back to the founding of our country and the founding followers and the faith that they had and such, we are just seeing a, a, a ramping up of antagonism against anybody who calls the name of Jesus Christ. And all we want to keep that in mind. We want to remember that and everything, that as believers and all, it's very easy to come here. It's very easy to sit in these pews and rejoice and sing and fellowship and hallelujah and all that thing. But here's the thing, folks. What about when we get out there? 
Are we going to live our faith out there? Are we going to be the light for Jesus Christ out there? To be the salt, the light that he has called us to be? Or will we simply just kind of, you know, come back into within these four walls, you know, and this is where we'll live out our faith? No, no. And everything. If we are going to be his light, then it has to be outside of the walls. But as we go through this, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Christ and everything, I want us to keep in mind, and David, if you'll get that um, slide ready for us and everything, um, I don't want us to forget in any way the trial, the suffering, and the humiliation of Jesus Christ, what he went through for you and I. You know, I remember going to my uh, grandma Cherry's house and everything. My dad's side of the family uh, was Catholic. And so we had all, she had all the Catholic vestiges out there. Okay, had the pictures of Jesus, you know, had her rosary, you know, right there by her room and such like that where she could get it. But also as you walked into the house and everything, the living room and the dining room was divided by one of those old archways. Y'all remember those? And everything had the archway such. And right there in the middle of the archway and everything was the crucifix. Okay, and there it showed Jesus, you know, on the cross, but there's only one thing that it did not reveal. It did not show the blood. It did not show his, his wounded body. It did not show the torture that he went through before he was nailed to that cross. And the thing simply is the Lamb of God who would shed his blood for you and I. I want you to look at this video from the Passion of the Christ and all, we're going to kind of cut it off at a particular place and everything because it does get a little bit graphic. And I, I certainly don't want um, people's stomach to get upset or anything like that. But I think you'll understand just a little bit, just a little bit of what Christ went through for you and I. David.
get the idea and that probably isn't the half of it you know under Jewish law a person couldn't be scourged more than 40 39 save 1 under Jewish law but this was the Romans who were doing this and according to some scholars and even medical experts and all they say that most likely the Romans didn't stop at 40 and all but they continued till Christ was very near death and he still had to carry his cross. And he still had to be nailed to the cross. See, folks, what I want to point out and everything, I want us to understand this is what he went through for you and I. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have sat back and just said, you know what, y'all are on your own. But instead, the Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think sometimes we as Christians and everything, we just, we, we, we do forget. We get lax, we get lazy, whatever it might be. I mean, we're glad we're going to heaven. We're thankful, you know, that Jesus did what he did, but we don't fully understand what he went through as a man and endured what he did for you and I. You're in Isaiah chapter 53. You're familiar with most of the scriptures there. Verse 2, it says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now listen, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. I want to break down some words there for just a moment. But notice he was despised and rejected. I think we understand those words, don't we? He was stricken, the Bible says. The word stricken literally means to strike or to defeat. He was in a position of being defeated. From a human standpoint, he was defeated. How can we call him a victor? Look at this man. Or behold the man, as Pilate told the people to do. And then he was smitten of God, and this is the one that just kind of blew me away. The word smitten literally means to kill or to slay. So let's put that in perspective. He was killed. 
He was slayed of God. Isn't it interesting, though, when you look at the first and the last sacrifice in Scripture, both were at the hands of God. If you go back to the garden, when man had sinned, and he got those leaves and all and sewed them together to cover himself up, but God said, no, that ain't going to work out. In other words, the blood of the innocent is going to have to be slain in order for us to have that relationship again. And so God slayed an innocent animal. Shed that blood to clothe man, you see, where man could now come before God. That was the first sacrifice. Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Christ is the last sacrifice. And guess what? That last sacrifice, too, was slain of God. Before the foundation of the world, it was intended, God prophesied, God placed in motion that Christ, his son, would be the final sacrifice for your sin and for mine. See, he's not that warm and fuzzy Jesus that you often see. That cross is not, is not nice and smooth wood or smooth metal, you see. No, we see a man that was literally beaten within an inch of his life, purposed by God so that we could have eternal life for all those who trust him. He is afflicted, which means to bow down or to become low. He can get no lower from a human standpoint. He was wounded, he was bruised, and as by his stripes we are healed. And as we saw last week, those events that were taking place in the first part of the Passion Week were all a fulfillment of prophecy. So is the crucifixion of Christ a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm chapter 22 and Isaiah chapter 53. Now you can just imagine, put yourself in the position of those disciples. Here were men, here were people and all that gave themselves to this man. We're going to follow you. You're the Messiah. You know, everything that we have is yours. And now they see him being beaten by the Romans and being placed on a wooden cross. Where did their hope go? What hope do they have? We have no hope whatsoever. And folks, you know, I think that is the same question that people are asking today. Where are they going to find hope? I was talking to a young lady at work here the other day. She's 26, 27 years old, has a three-year-old daughter at home. And I just asked her, she came into the break room there, and I said, you know, hey, what are you going to do when you get home? What are you and your little girl going to do when you get home? And she said, the first thing I'm going to do is have a couple of drinks. We've talked to other people like that. Where do they find hope? Where are they going to hope? At the bottom of a bottle, at the end of a needle, at one relationship after another, at one job after another? Where are they going to go for hope? I know. I know. We'll find hope on Capitol Hill, won't we? <laughs> eh, not too much. Hey, you know what? Maybe the producers and actors out in Hollywood can give us some hope. It's not going to happen, is it? You know what? Maybe our educational system will have hope there. We learned in Sunday school and everything where one state and everything is now uh, considering implementing. They're going to take, uh, you know, uh, Christian prayers, you know, out of the school and replace them to prayers to ancient gods. 
They're going to pray to gods that never existed. And gods that probably their names they can't even pronounce. I read an article this last week where a teacher out in Washington State refused to use Band-Aids when her kids came up with a scratch or a boot, nick, you know, whatever it was in a classroom because she saw them as racist and white supremacist because they were only one color. Folks, this is where our society's at. And I think in a lot of ways they're reaching for hope. They're grabbing for hope. They're trying to find hope in somewhere. But yet you and I know that the only hope there is is Christ. Amen. But yet sadly the church we become eerily silent when it comes to this. And here, especially on the one day, that if there's a time that we should raise up and announce hope on Resurrection Sunday. So you saw what happened. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was taken from the cross. And he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And by the way, there, there was no swooning and there was no reviving. Because of, the, because of the tomb. There are those who believe that through all what, all what Christ went through, that he merely fainted. And that once they took him and put him in the cool of the, of the cave of the borrowed tomb and all, that he revived, he woke up. Are you kidding me? We look at the scripture. He died. Matter of fact, Jesus was very plain about that. He said, Father, into thy hands I come in my spirit. And he bowed his head and he died physically, according to the scripture. He dismissed the spirit in Jesus. This was a fulfillment of prophecy because he says, No man takes my life from me. I freely lay it down and I will freely raise it again. Matter of fact, he even went on to say, Destroy this temple, and in three days. I will rise it up. He wasn't talking about the temple of Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body. I will raise it up. But Jesus Christ died. Make no, make no mistake about it. So Christ died. They laid him in the tomb. They didn't know what was going to happen. Who do we have hope in now? He's dead. We gave everything we have. He's dead. We said we follow him with our lives. He's dead. What do we do? Well, that third day, there's some women went to the tomb. They had a job to do. They had to finish what they weren't able to do three days earlier. To prepare Jesus and the proper prepare his body and all. They went to the tomb. There's only one problem there. He wasn't there. That stone was rolled away. And let me tell you something. That stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so people could get in. He didn't have to have that stone rolled away. He's God. He could show up where he wanted to. And so the message came back to the disciples and everything. that The grave is empty. And the disciples began to go to the, to the tomb. And Peter and John ran on ahead. They raced to see if the tomb was empty. It was gone. And I can't help but think that their hearts started beating again. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. They saw him laid in the tomb. But now the tomb is empty. 
Their hearts had to start racing and they had to start beating again. And I want us to understand, dear friend, that the Romans could not outlaw him. The Pharisees could not deny him. The grave could not contain him. And hell could not conquer him. Jesus arose. Just like he said he did. And you know what? He didn't arose, uh, rise to make a name for himself. He did it for you and me. Yeah. For you and me. For all. And folks, that is where our hope is. And our hope is not simply in the fact that for the child of God to be absent from the body is prepared for the Lord. That he is preparing a place. Preparing a place where he will come and get us and take us to. But our hope is also in a right relationship with God here. That we can walk with the eternal God through Jesus Christ each and every day of our lives. Folks, please. I don't want to sound like a broken record. But I want you to understand this life of Christianity, it's not from Sunday to Sunday. It is moment by moment. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. That's our relationship with Christ. We do have something better beyond John chapter 14, that he's preparing a place and he will come to receive us to that place. But we also have hope for a richer and fuller life today. Jesus said that I'm come not to just have life, but that you have it more abundantly. Abundantly. That doesn't mean a bigger bank account. That doesn't mean a bigger house. That doesn't mean a newer car. What that means is abundant life in Jesus Christ. Knowing that he walks with us and he talks with us. And he tells us that we are his own. You see, not worrying about the things of this life. Because we know they're only temporal. We know what Christ has is eternal. Amen. And that he's preparing that for us. And then also it displaces fear. Boy, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of fear going on. A lot of fear in our world today. Man, look what's going on in our world today. We're seeing mass shootings ramping up. We're seeing Iran starting to make noise again. We have people in this country fear. They don't even want to come out of their houses or one thing after another. You know, which, you know, you know, you know we, 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 it just seems that we live in fear. But Jesus said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of one of love power and a sound mind that's what i have given you and we can live in that day by day and moment by moment